Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the seventh episode of the Long Run Podcast Series. I'm your host, Dominic Santina, and well, I think our first interview last week was pretty successful. We'd like to once again thank Alex Wilson for his time and ability to join our podcast as our first guest on this series. We're going to have another one join us here in just a minute, but first, one thing that I'd like to be reporting on in our warm-up sessions of our podcasts is races that are going on around the world and how runners that we follow here on the podcast are doing in those races, but unfortunately, with what's going on right now, that's not the case, but with all of this coronavirus going on, we have had breaking news. It seems like almost every week new updates to give you in our warm-up session, and that is the case here again today, April 7th, 2020. Tuesday as we record this. It'll come out tomorrow, April 8th, a Wednesday, if you're listening to this podcast. But breaking news here today, April 7th, the World Athletics, which is the overriding body for Olympic qualifying, has suspended the qualifying period for the Olympics. This takes effect yesterday, April 6th, and will continue to November 30th, 2020. So that means any events held this summer, if there are events at all held, will not count towards your eligibility towards qualifying for the Olympic or any Olympic standards. Results during this period will not count, as I mentioned, including world rankings. Results will still count for statistical purposes such as records, but not towards the Olympic qualifying standards. Results uh, towards the qualifying standards will count from 2019 and the qualifying session will continue into 2021. The qualifying period will in total actually be four months longer than normal. Anyone that met the standards in 2019 will continue to keep those times or whatever it took for you to qualify. The period will go from will end on May 31st, 2021 for race, walk or marathon training or qualifying, I should say. So it goes from 2019, skip this little period of April 6th to November 30th, and then it'll go from November, or essentially December 1st to May 31st of 2021. All other events will be June 29th, 2021 will be the last day for qualifying there for the Olympics. I got a little bracket here that says a whole schedule of everything so for the marathon 50 kilometer race walk your entry standards period is january 1st 2019 through april 5th 2020 and then picks up december 1st 2020 till may 31st 2021 21 months in total the world rankings period is exactly the same actually it's a month longer because from december 1st to 20 it goes from December 1st, 2018 through April 5th, 2020, and then once again, December 1st, 2020 till May 31st, 2021. The 10,000 meter, 20-kilometer race walk combined events, their entry standard periods are January 1st, 2019 through April 5th, 2020, and then they will resume December 1st, 2020 through June 29th, 2021, 22 months in total. And that is the same for the world rankings period as well. 
All other events for the 2021 now Summer Olympics go from May 1st, 2019 through April 5th, 2020, and then December 1st, 2020 through June 29th, 2021, 18 months in total. The world rankings period is June 30th, 2019 through April 5th, 2020, and then December 1st, 2020 through June 29th, 2021, 16 months in total there as well. So some upsetting news to a few runners here that we follow in the United States, knowing that if they do run some races this summer, it will not count towards their eligibility next year for the 2021 Summer Olympics. But they still, it, as I mentioned, it will still count, still count for the world records and such. So more breaking news, not the way we want to talk about things right now, but with the tough times, not only the country, but the world is going through the World Athletics put a press release out on their website, that's where I found it, explaining the whole situation and the decision to cancel the qualifying period. So Alex Wilson was on our podcast last week. He was my cross-country coach while I was at Rochester University. He ran at Michigan State. This week he helped us get in contact with one of his former teammates who ran at Michigan State, Sarah Kroll, who... We're going to introduce her a little bit. She racked up many honors in high school, including a trip to the Foot Locker National, which we talk about a little bit here once we get into her interview. She joined the Michigan State cross-country team and track team. She was on the team from 2010 through 2015. She was the 2012 cross-country Big Ten champion individually and the 2012 Big Ten Athlete of the Year. And she also was a part of that 2014 cross-country national championship team at Michigan State. A few of her times at Michigan State were her 5K time was down to 16-16-52, her 3K time 9-12-25, mile 4-44, and her 800 at 2-12. Since graduating from Michigan State University, she is now the head coach at Churchill High School in Livonia. She is also the assistant coach at Madonna University and spends some of her time as a color analyst with the Big Ten Network for the track and field events. And without further ado, we're going to talk about all this in the interview, so let's not waste any more time, and let's welcome Sarah Kroll, our second guest here on the Believe Long Run podcast series. All right, so the first question is how did you get into running? So I didn't really get into running much until I was in high school. Um, as I was growing up, I sort of was that kid that played every sport and I danced for a really long time. And I was sort of average at most things, but I was never really stellar at anything. And, and so I was not run cross country until I was in ninth grade. Um, and so as a ninth grader, I really didn't know what I was doing, but I walked onto a team that, you know, I was one of four people that year in Division One on our team that were all state, and so my team was real. Um, and so I was lucky enough to have, you know, great leadership with tons of girls ahead of me that I went on to play, you know, cross country or soccer in college, and so I just sort of played follow the leader a little bit, and and ran in ninth grade, and you know, had a pretty good ninth grade year, and. I still played volleyball as a freshman at the high school level. And then once I got done with ninth grade, I just decided to kind of split and, and run full time. And so that's when I 
did cross country and then I trained prime mostly throughout the winter. I didn't, I never raced a ton of indoor track, but I would pop into some races here and there and then obviously track. So it, it wasn't really until I was about in 10th grade that I really became a full fledged runner, but I was happy to give myself the opportunity to, you know, play some other sports. And, and I know that as a coach now, collegiate coaches do love to see, you know, their athletes involved with multiple, multiple athletics and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, playing multiple sports is always, always a good idea. Yeah, I will say uh, my kids now, you know, selfishly, I would love to have them in training. You know, we trained really hard throughout the winter, and this was going to be my first year coaching boys in the spring. And so I had a huge group of boys, and, and I loved having them, you know, but we do have lots of other kids who do swim and stuff like that. But I would say most of my girls on my high school team, they're full-fledged runners. So I see them, you know, most days during the week up until everything that's been going on lately. But, yeah, I mean, it's it. I would definitely welcome it if they wanted to do, you know, another alternative during the year. But it seems like most of them really love running. How much when you fully kind of committed in your high school into running, what was your training kind of like at that point? So it was pretty low. I felt like, you know, compared to, you know, once I became younger in college and, and I would hear about, you know, like the Aaron Finns or how Megan Goethals trained in high school and they just were quite a bit more mileage than I was. So I would say... I ran probably about 35 miles a week, but maybe when I was a senior, I may have tiptoed a little closer to 40. I can't remember. You know, I do have all my logs because I was pretty diligent about documenting everything, but pretty standard. Um, Like, you know, on a base run, I may go out and run like six versus my teammates maybe would have done five or something like that. So it did get to the point where when I was a little bit older, I was trying to add a little bit more volume here and there, but, you know, pretty standard training with tempo work followed by some like interval and repetition work later in the week with strides and like maybe a long one probably about 60 minutes but I, I never really got up to much more than that which was nice when I transitioned to college because coach strength really worked with me and the fact that I was a little lower than maybe some other people who came in on the team and so I did was able to kind of dial back once I got back into college, and I didn't do anything too crazy until I'd say I was a sophomore. While you were in high school, you qualified for the Foot Locker National. What was that experience like? Oh, it was awesome. I would say, um, you know, when, when I look back on it now, it was something that sort of made the reality of what it would be like traveling for college. And so, yeah, I mean, got to fly out to California, which at the time I had never been to California. I only met a bunch of professional athletes. Not to mention I got to race against 39 other of the best high school kids in the country. And, and I will say, I, you know, I look back on that race and I didn't really run that well there. Unfortunately, you know, you always want to go to those national caliber races and run the best that you can. But I think I just was sort of gassed. It's hard to run cross country all the way into December. But it was truly a meaningful experience and so I was really excited to be able to make it there and I do have one really really top caliber kid on my high school team right now and and she really is looking forward to training for Foot Locker next year senior year and I think I'm trying to approach it with her sort of how I did my senior year you know I did run it as a freshman and a sophomore I did not run Foot Locker regionals as a junior and so my last year was my you know, legitimate attempt at really trying to qualify. And I trained pretty hard for those few weeks after cross country in Michigan. And 
So that was really helpful. But, you know, to be successful at that race, at least at the regional level, you got to get out and be in that top 10, you know, within the first mile because you're just sort of weaving in and out of the woods and it can be really, really hard to play catch up. And, you know, I think that's just what I did and it worked in my favor. But being able to run at the national meet was awesome. I became friends with people like Emily Sisson and Scott Fogel and Jay Kurz, you know, just from being able to go to those, to go to that meet. And so to be able to know those people throughout high school and in college and, and even now is, is very cool. Which, whether it can be either from high school or college, did you like track or cross country more? This is a tough question. You know, I think I've always felt like when you're in whatever particular season it is, I like that one the best. But I would say I've always leaned a little bit more towards cross country. I've always felt like I was a little better suited for the cross country course, just sort of having to be tough and gritty on hills and uneven terrain. And not to mention, you know, the aspect of the team is a little bit different in cross country versus track. And I feel like whether it was high school or college, I was really fortunate to be on really awesome teams where we were super close. You know, we bought into the program. We bought into the process with our coach. We believed in our coaches. And and so I think in cross country, you know, when you're traveling week after week with that same core group of like seven to 10 with your coaches, it becomes really easy to, you know, just like get excited every time you get to toe, toe the line, especially off of high school, you know, when you race 13, 14 times and then in college it's six times. And so I guess I would go with cross country. You know, I just, I think I was part of really, really good teams and that makes it so much better. So I guess that would probably kind of answer the next question, which was your favorite distance event in college? I'm guessing that's probably the 6K then? Yeah, I mean, I think if I'm looking at maybe what I was most confident or successful in, I would say the 6K. Um, If I had to pick a track event, I would say the 3K indoors. You know, being totally honest here, I, I always felt like, you know, when I reflect back on my time, I'm not sure why I was definitely a lot more confident in my own ability and my own capacity in cross country than I was on the track. And I think that's made me a better coach because I've been able to acknowledge that and sort of help my kids work through, you know, the stress and anxiety that they feel when they're approaching races. And I know that I struggled with that a lot on the track. However, I did feel probably the most confident and excited about the 3K just because it's that awesome mix of street of speed and strength. And so, yeah, I mean, we, we had tons of really fast ladies. And so to be able to, you know, pull through the mile at like 455 and then run 14 more, 100 more meters, it's tough and it's a grind. But I, I did really like it. And I'd say if you were like looking at my PRs, that was probably my most competitive PR, I would say. Well, one thing's for sure, you had quite a bit of success in both high school and in college. What do you think helped contribute to that? I would say... You know, I'm having fun, and I don't know that sounds cliche, but the training is really, really hard. And ultimately, I think when you want to be at that really high top-tier level collegiately, it's definitely a lifestyle choice and a lifestyle change. You know, we were not regular college kids, you know, like going out every weekend and all that kind of stuff. And, And so we had to find other ways to, like, have fun, hang out with one another. And so, you know, I... I that was, you know, looking forward to practice and looking forward to saying like, okay, 
I'm going to do four times a mile, you know, at what was originally faster than my mile pace when I was a junior in high school. And it's like, that's really tough to mentally wrap your head around. But having the group um, that I had to be able to get through those really tough days was, was what made it all worth it, I think. And honestly, just believing in your training, which I know is probably another really cliche thing to say, but I always tell my high school athletes, like, if you come to practice every day and give a hundred percent then when it's time to step on the line for race day that it, it it should make you feel confident and excited to be able to you know attack that race on that given day because you know you're 100 percent prepared and I definitely feel like I tried to do that when I was in college and you know just be present be in the moment when I'm in, at practice so that I know that it can translate on those days when it really really counts I know you said that those were cliche answers, but I couldn't agree anymore, just looking back at my time in college, too. Especially the just trying to find ways to have fun outside of practice and school and stuff with your teammates. And then runners are a select breed of trying to have fun with practice, doing mile repeats or 1K repeats or anything like that. So Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I lived... I lived uh, in the obviously in the dorms my freshman year at Lee O'Connor and then I moved out of the dorms as a sophomore and lived with another girl her name is Becky on the team and then my final three years I lived in the house that is now like the reoccurring cross-country house on the girls team and so I was fortunate enough to be able to live there for three years and so actually every single year I lived there the, the girls on our team who were all Big Ten and cross-country were in that house, you know, with the exception of my fifth year when I think almost everybody on our top seven was all Big Ten that year. Yeah, I mean, it's like you surround yourself with those people who have, like, values, and, you know, we're just all sort of, like, mentally on the same page. So it's like, you know, we'd come home and we'd make dinner together and hang out and, like, binge-watch Parks and Rec or something like that. And so, you know, exactly what you said, that kind of stuff is fun to us, so... What since you've graduated from college, have you continued training or anything? Yeah, I have. So um, I might, uh, you know, my parents might say that I'm addicted to running, which is funny. Um, I would say, so I've been done with college for about five years now, and I probably haven't taken more than, oof, like a week or maybe so off maybe 10 days approximately because you know after a marathon you can't walk for a few days and so other than that you know I just definitely find ways to get out the door it's definitely hard in the winter especially coming from Michigan but you know this is now that nice time where it's starting to transition to those warmer days so I might say I run probably six days a week and then obviously up until recently with the Boston Marathon being postponed that was my next race on the calendar, so I had qualified for Boston this year. Uh, but I do plan to run the new date of it in September, you know, pending if that goes off again. But, yeah, so, you know, I'm really lucky where I live uh, in mid-Michigan. I've got tons of training partners around, so a few of them were my former teammates. I've got some friends that I train with that ran at U of M, and then I do run with my athletes three days a week, probably about. That's awesome. So yeah, let's hope everything uh, calms down so you can run Boston. That would be, that's got to be a fun experience. Yeah. You know, it's tough. We, I had just done my first 20 mile run of my training segment of the week before I had gotten postponed. And so it's sort of like, you know, you, I, you know, I woke up a few times in the night 
before that run, like I was actually nervous for it because it's, you know, about two, well, a little less than two and a half hours, but it's just a long time on your feet and you've got to plan fueling and yeah. you've got to eat in the morning before you get up. I mean, it's just such a long process. So it had gone really stellar. So, you know, the, the best long run that I had had at the cycle so far. And then a week later to find out that it got canceled was just a little bit of a bummer. But so I've decided to sort of just run some regular base mileage from now until June. And then I'll do a shorter, usually I do like a 16 week segment build up before yeah. a marathon, but I'm only going to do probably about 12 weeks starting in June sometime. So. Well, hopefully this time it'll all stay on schedule. Yeah. This can be a college race, a road race. What is one of your favorite races to run? Wow. Okay. So I would say if I was choosing collegiately, um, I did love the Wisconsin, like the Nutty Comb and Bite in cross country. But, you know, it essentially was the national meet, if not even more difficult, just because they loaded it up. You know, it had like 40 teams in the field. But that course in Wisconsin, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's just not only is it super spectator friendly, but it's mildly challenging with some rolling hills, but it's just manicured so well. And so, you know, everybody on our team probably had run their personal best time in cross country on that course. So it's nice to be able to go there and know that you could run really fast. But if I would have to think of post-collegiately, um, say my favorite race that I have run has been the Flying Pig Marathon in Cincinnati. Definitely would recommend that to anyone who's looking for a challenging road race because it climbed about 1,400 feet. Wow. Um, but also, I mean, if you're looking for, you know, everybody wants to run Boston because of the history and the crowds and just the energy associated with it. And I've not run Boston before, so I can't speak to that. But I did feel like Cincinnati had that energy that I, I would assume is similar to a Boston or a New York City there was just people everywhere. Um, they had, you know, water and, and foods and fluid and all that kind of stuff. Like every single mile, you know, passing out Vaseline, passing out tissues, um, people standing outside their houses. I mean, it's totally one of those races where it takes over the city of Cincinnati for about a week before. And so I thoroughly enjoyed running that race. And I definitely hope at some point that I can go back and run the Flying Pig again. All right. Well, I might have to check that one out. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome, and it's it's early May. Like, when I ran it last year, it was May 5th, and so, you know, it's a couple months of winter training, but it's not too terrible, but like I said, it is pretty hilly, but uh, you do climb the majority of the elevation, like, in the first 12 miles, so it is nice because at least you get it over with early versus Boston, right? Like, most of the elevation is between 16 and 20, so. Right. So you got a lot of recovery time then. Yes, yep. You're an assistant coach at Madonna, correct? Yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. How'd you get involved with that? So I just finished my third season at Madonna. Um, and once I graduated from Michigan State, I actually moved to Indianapolis to go to grad school. So I was there working, teaching, coaching, and as a student for two years. And then I decided to move home back in like June of 2017. And so one of my high school coaches, his name is Patrick Doherty. He transitioned from coaching at the high school level to coaching at Madonna. So he's been there for about 14 or 15 years. And so I've just maintained a really great relationship with him, you know, throughout 
my time, you know, that I've known him since, you know, when I met him when I was 14, I've just been really close. And when he knew that I had moved home, you know, he called me one day and he had said, Sarah, I need an assistant coach. Like, are you interested? I know that you're planning on coaching at the high school level, but I think it would be really great. And he's like, well, just let me know in about a week. And I had thought about it and, and I knew that I really wanted to get into coaching a bit more seriously than I had done so far up to that point. And so about a week later, I had actually called him back and let him know that I wanted to, to be an assistant coach for him. And jokingly, he was like, oh, well, you know, I already turned your name into HR, so they, they, they're already going to email you your paperwork. Like, I knew you were going to do it. And so I was really, really grateful for that because he's just been a huge mentor for me. Um, and I think I'm super fortunate to have had coaches, whether it be in high school or in college, who have known a lot about the sport. You know, I do know some people who come from programs where sometimes they're self-coached or, you know, they're just like, oh, we're just going to go on a fun run or an Indian run or like something, you know, that's not really a legitimate workout or training plans or something like that. And, and so he, he knows his stuff and to be able to work with the girls and the guys team at Madonna of the course of the last three years has just been great. My first year with Madonna was the first year that they had ever qualified for the national championships which at that time was out in uh, Vancouver Washington and then you know I think they went in ranked about 14th and and finished inside the top 10 which was huge and and we had a few girls who were sort of knocking on the door being all Americans and then last year we had spent most of the year ranked about in the top five because we had returned everyone and that year it was in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and then knocked it out of the park at the national championship, almost won the whole thing, and they lost and finished second place by six points. But, I mean, it was just sort of one of those races where it was like, holy crap, you know, the girls ran so well, and out of nowhere we thought we could be in the hunt to win. And, and then, obviously, you know, that target's on your back the next year, especially because once again, we returned everybody. And so they spent the majority of the year this year, either ranked first or second in the country. And then we're able to pull it off and win university's first national title with three individual All-Americans this year back again out in Vancouver, Fort Vancouver, Washington. So just an incredible experience. I mean, when I went on my first run with them, I think they were running like eight minute pace for a, for a long run. And I, you know, stepped up to the front and I'm like, come on, we can run faster than this. And and now when I take a peek at their Strava, you know, they're not meeting formally for practice. They're doing their base runs at like 645 pace now. And it's just incredible to see how far they've come. Um, and I think they, they had it in them all along. It just sort of takes a workout or a few series of workouts to sort of change your mentality on what your capacity is. And I think They've all just learned that they have the capacity for a little bit more and, and they care about each other a lot. And so the two things, when they combine, it obviously brings the opportunity to, to perform really well at those big meets, which they've done. And so I, I love being able to coach at Madonna. I've been fortunate that I've been able to manage both coaching Madonna and as well at the high school levels as well. It's, good. it's always good to see the whack get a little recognition. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why did you decide to get into coaching? Um, you know, I think it, it started out as one of those things where people are like, Oh, you should you should do this, you should coach, you know, you had some success. Let's see you kind of move on and um I think 
you know, when I, when I moved back home, I coached middle school when I, when I coached in Indiana. And so I think that was the perfect transition to be able to sort of get my feet wet because middle school cross country and, and I taught in the inner city. And so I started the cross country program there. And so it was just very cool to see these kids who had never run formally in their lives be able to get out there and run these races that were two miles. And so that was all about fun and making sure the experience was like wholesome and enjoyable for them. And I loved every second of that. It wasn't about like, you know, intense training or, or mileage or anything like that. And so then when I came home and had the opportunity to move into my former high school and coach there, it was just sort of a dream come true. You know, I, I didn't necessarily have intentions to come back home per se, but I've seen a huge, huge culture change. And I tell this to my kids all the time that I want them to care about each other and enjoy this more than any result could ever bring. And I've certainly seen a huge culture change over the course of the last three years that I've been coaching high school. And not to mention, I just see the buy-in from these kids. I think that they've started to really learn like what it takes uh, to be super successful. You know, as a runner, there's so much more than like what you just do at practice. It's eating right and sleeping well and, and foam rolling and taking ice baths and so many things that we don't have time to do at practice. You know, my kids have, they, they do all that stuff on their own. And I think it's super cool to just see how much my kids have grown and that I think I've been able to instill, you know, my love, my passion for distance running in this next generation of kids. And so I'll, I'll say it every time. And I love being a teacher, but coaching is my passion. And I, I look forward to practice every single day. Uh, it's my favorite part of the day. All right. And my college coach and your former teammate, Alex Wilson, told me that you've also done some work with the Big Ten Network. Yes, yep, I've, I've worked with them since 2016. How did you get connected with that? So, I think it was about my last semester at Michigan State during the, sort of in between the indoor and the outdoor season, so maybe like in April or March, well, probably March, I had gotten an email from our media coordinator at the time, and he had forwarded me this email from his name was Bob Lanning at the Big Ten Network. And he was previously like the former producer. But then, you know, once things changed over to Fox and BTN bought Fox, um, he had retired because he was, you know, I think like employee number three yet at Big Ten when they started. But he had just reached out to me and said, hey, Sarah, we've we've watched a few of your interviews you know, you, you sound great. I don't know if you have any interest, but we're looking for a new women's analyst. You know, their former analyst prior to me, she was a heptathlete at Princeton, and she had taken a job working courtside for the New York Knicks. And so she had really, you know, moved up. And so, yeah, they had this spot open, and he asked if I was interested. And I said, heck, yeah, sounds great. And then he actually emailed me back asking if I wanted to word the Jesse Owens Invitational at Ohio State. And I had to tell him, like, oh, I, I still have eligibility, and I'm actually running at that meet. So, unfortunately, I won't be able to help you out. But if you need some support in the future, like, don't hesitate. And it wasn't until the following January, I think. Um, yep, that would have been January of 2016, 
where he emailed me again and asked if I wanted to fly to Lincoln, Nebraska and cover the Husker Invitational indoors. And so that was my first production with BTN. And so, yeah, it just sort of took off from there. And so basically most of the running related, whether it's cross country or track and field, those invitationals, I'll be on speaker. And usually lately I've been working with Declan Murray and he covers the men's side. And then I've had various play-by-play guys, but you know, we've, we used to go on site to the meets, but now since technology has just skyrocketed, we usually, I fly into the studios in Chicago and then they feed everything remotely to there. So yeah, it's been a wonderful experience. Certainly never thought, you know, I don't have any broadcasting background. I never thought I'd get into something like that, but um, I'm a student of the sport and I, I still love watching track and field anytime it's on TV. So I've been able to keep up with the who's who of the Big Ten still, which has been cool. So that makes it a little bit easier. You're telling me you didn't want to carry a microphone while you ran a race? <laughs> that would have been a little bit heavy, but um, yeah, you know, I like I love commentating the track and field events. They're so long, right? You're like in the booth for four or five hours, so that's really tough. You kind of like only scoot out to go take a bathroom break during like the men's 5K or something, you know, because it's so long. Right. But I do, I love cross country and that sort of really came super naturally to talk about anything distance running related. And so I've had to, you know, I've, I've chatted with Tori Franklin, my former teammate, to ask her, you know, talk to me about triple jump and, and long jump because I don't know anything about these field events. And so I've had to do a little bit of my own homework to sort of make sure that I know what I'm talking about just because, you know, distance comes true and it's really easy to talk about, you know, a three pair, a five pair, a mile, but, you know, high jump or the four by one was a little dicey for me at first. All right. Well, we got one final question. Is there okay. any training tips you would have for any runners out there? It's going to be training simple. Tips. Yeah, so I would say, um, I know, I I think one of the most important things is, is when you're getting into a new training cycle or you're training for a new season, it's really important to sort of stop and think about where you want to get to by the end of the season. And so I think it's very important to have goals. I think it's important to have like intermediate and long-term goals. Um, I think it's very important to write them down to help hold yourself accountable and to talk to your coaches about them if you you know, find that to be valuable. And so I I do, I have conversations about this kind of stuff with my kids. And then we talk about how you're going to get there. And so I think running is not one of those things where you can just wake up and kind of take it day by day. I think it's important to not get overzealous with training and to listen to your body, especially if, you know, one day you've got a shin flare up and you need to dial it back. I think all that's really important. But in order to get to where you want to go, I think it's most important to talk about the process and how you're going to get there and, and to develop a plan. I think that that's most important for sure. All right. Well, thank you, Sarah, for taking time to talk to us on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. It was fun. Thank you for having me. Once again, we'd like to thank Sarah Kroll for her time and ability to join our podcast as our second guest. A lot of great insight there from Sarah, and we'd like to thank her for joining the show. We're going to move into our conclusion part of our seventh episode. We're going to join us with our second golden rule, thanks to the runner's world. This week, rule number two is 10% rule. The rule here is do not increase your training mileage by more than 10% each week. There is an exception. If you're starting at single-digit weekly mileage after a layoff, you can add more than 10% per week until you're close to your normal training load. 
This I totally agree with, the exception rule, because I know during my time in college there was times where I'd come off a couple weeks off of resting after indoor or outdoor the cross-country season, and I'd go from running maybe 9, 10 miles a week up to 30, 35, and then increase by about 5 to 10 miles a week. So I think it all depends, and I think the exception really comes into play in my mind of if you're starting out at a low but trying to jump back up to where you normally are, then yes, you can do more than 10%. But once you're around your normal training mileage, I agree with the 10% rule. Don't jump up more than 10% of your weekly mileage. Then we're going to move into our training tip for our mile this month. We've said that the I've designated the month of April to help prepare people to run the road mile in case we do get back to running here in this country and we have some road races. We've decided to help you with some training tips to improve your mile time. Once again, we're going to go with a tip from Nick Willis. And this time he talks about building leg strength, especially in your glutes and hamstrings. He says no amount of jogging can produce the leg power you need in the mile. Without leg strength, you'll find that you can't pick up your legs in the last quarter of the race. You need to be able to recruit the muscles that run from your toe to your hip and single leg exercises like single leg glute bridges and single leg squats can target the whole muscle chain. I think that's a good tip there from Nick Willis, the former Olympian. There is some cross training that can be done. I know a lot of runners do a little bit of cross training. We did a little bit while I was training in college. And it's more of a sprint for the mile, so definitely long runs just aren't going to do it. You're going to need to find a little bit of sprint speed in that mile run if you want to achieve a fast mile time. So doing some single leg glute bridges or single leg squats can definitely help you with your leg strength and being able to push through that last quarter mile or quarter at yeah, quarter mile of the race here in the summer or fall whenever you get to that mile session. If you are looking for something to watch or be entertained that involves running wise, Emma Colburn has been going on her Instagram live almost every night now, trying to provide some entertainment for people. I've noticed I've caught a couple. I haven't really watched the whole things, but just caught bits and pieces. She's done different segments on her Instagram live. She's had many different posts, and no matter many different co-hosts, no matter what they're doing, she always has a little interview or Q&A session with her co-host, and it's kind of fun to watch. I haven't, like I said, I haven't watched the whole thing, but just a little bit different, some different type of entertainment while we're all in quarantine here. Once again, I'm going to hit the social media as we wrap it up here on the seventh episode. You can find us at the Long Run 5 on Twitter and Believe in the Long Run on Instagram. Once again, we're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and of course, the Believe webpage. I'd like to thank all of our listeners last week. Seemed like it was a pretty big hit listening-wise with having our first interview, and hopefully this one with Sarah goes over just as well. I'd also like to thank the 16 more followers we picked up on Instagram last week. Let's keep it up. We're up to 39 followers from the 23 we were at, I believe, the week before. So let's keep the trend going forward. And if you want to add any comments or message me any questions you might have, you can do that on either of our social media accounts. I'd also like to say thank you to the Believe Podcast Network once again last week, coming up with an awesome graphic 
for our podcast series last week promoting Alex Wilson. We'll see what they come up with for this podcast as well. If you are interested in seeing what the graphics are, they'll post it on our social media pages. And we thank you for listening to episode number seven. We're going to have another guest for episode number eight. So tune in next week as well for our eighth episode. Time for me to once again get out there and pound some more pavement on my run. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.